Next up, End Monster. Two gamers, one video game podcast. Nothing but video games with all the fun. Tune into the Consumption Network for weekly podcasts and updates. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to a second episode of 1-0 Podcast. I'm your host, Next Step, the next step above the rest, and I'm here with my special co-host. Want to go ahead and announce yourself? I am the one, the only, the legendary Live Zone, as Live you know zone. from Live Zone Sports, here to help out with a little bit of 1-0 action. So what do we got first, Mr. Next Step? Well, for today, we got something called Starfield. And for those who don't know, this is a game that just came out recently. And who would have thought that you've been getting money from a puddle? And I'm not talking about any kind of puddle. I'm talking about a murky puddle you know that kind of puddle where you step outside right outside of a rainstorm and you just see all that mud and all that grime yeah imagine a bunch of vegetables in that and you use like the carrots and all of that imagine using that to make millions and just waiting for it to pop up in this puddle well because of this glitch now you're getting all of this fruit all of this random assortment of stuff in this puddle and apparently it's not supposed to exist and people are using this to get millions if not billions of dollars for this game now, I have a question here, right? We know how like we talk about all the hacks and all the glitches and games and everything like that and we, you know, talk about how the community is feeling about it. How is Next Step feeling about this glitch? Are you one for glitches or are you one to, you know, yeah. play the game the right way? See, in this case, I'm probably one of the people that would abuse it because <laughs> I'm not going to lie, fair it's, enough. It Okay, this game reminds me a lot like No Man's Sky, right? You know, there used to be a glitch in No Man's Sky where you could take this, I don't know, it was like some kind of fusion core or something worth 15 million. And there's a duplicate glitch where you put two miners against each other and then it just duplicates however many you had. So if you had 15 in that miner, now you have 30. And believe me, I made billions. I had a (laughs) whole Starfleet of just 30 different frigates. I had so many starships and everything. So... To me, it makes the game more fun. If you're trying to get that nice little head start, then sure, you have a method to come back to when you want to just when you want to get money in a pinch, you know. Yeah. But other than that, I wouldn't use it too much, you know. I wouldn't just sit there for two days, three days, four days, just sitting there grinding out money. That doesn't that makes the game not as fun anymore. I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. For me, I'm not a person that abuses these glitches and all that stuff. I want to play the game the right way. I want to struggle in the game. That's what makes a game fun for me is like, all right, well, how can I problem solve this? Or how can I solve this problem? You know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to be like, all right, well, I'm going to use a hack right here. Boom, done. You know, it's not... It's not that it's not fun for me because, I mean, a glitch is a glitch. Of course, it's going to be fun if you get something out of it. But if you're playing the game for the first time, you want to play it the right way, right? Exactly. And that's the thing. You know, everyone knows that I'm about immersion. You know, any kind of game that has some kind of immersion that tries to put you in that driver's seat for this is the character that you're going to play. I love those kind of experiences. And Starfield is one of those games that heavily emphasizes on the space exploration. You can travel by what, 21 different planets across multiple different galaxies, or I don't even know if it's 21. I'm sure there's multiple number amount, but the thing is they're all unique. So I want to be able to build off of that 
build my own adventure. You know, I want to be able to and not have it limited by, oh yeah, there's a glitch in this certain galaxy that I can go to to make some money. Cool. But there's still so much to explore. You can still make what millions off of a bounty. You can still make two millions off of farming. You can do like all of this just based off of actually playing the game. And I feel like that's a lot of things or one of the biggest concepts that a lot of players just don't understand or utilize or utilize. they're looking for the glitches they're looking for the hacks to make their life easier so they can go to their friends and be like hey yo look i got this you know right. what i mean and like people like i grind that out blah 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 you know they have an excuse for it but, but realistically it just means that you're cheating the game in my opinion yes on some glitches but if it's a glitch that's going to ruin the game by giving you millions of supplies and millions of dollars and all that stuff Stay away from it because it's not going to be fun after that and you're not going to want to play the game. Now, my next question is for you, Mr. Next Step. Do you think that they put this in the game on purpose or do you think that it just happened to be there? Oh, no. This definitely happened to be here because who... While that would be an interesting concept to see just a bunch of vegetables and carrots spawn in a random puddle on some murky planet, one... I would not want to eat those. <laughs> and two, it, that doesn't seem, that seems so out of the ordinary. You know, like why vegetables and why this random puddle on this random planet? And consider that these are, I'm pretty sure these are random generated, randomly generated, but they're so detailed. So what would cause, I think it's Bethesda who created the game, but what would cause them to say, okay, this is the glitch that we're going to put in this particular spot. This just must be like some kind of error, I think. Now, what I'm seeing is, you know, a lot of people aren't seeing it or talking about it, but, you know, a lot of these video games that happen to be either space-related or Nintendo-related or whatever it may be, adventure-related, a lot of those game makers put certain things in there that are hidden features that you think is a glitch or a hack, but really is meant to be in the game to begin with. So that's the reason why I'm like heading towards that direction of, okay, well maybe this was put here for a reason. Maybe they know something that we don't for the game. Uh, That's why I was trying to see if you thought the same way that, you know, a typical Nintendo gamer would think, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, what's the hidden message? What's the hidden room? What's the hidden chest type of thing? I feel like that's kind of where they're getting at with this. Yes and no. I mean, to me, there's a difference between having an Easter egg and actually having a glitch. This, to me, seems like a glitch because, yes, it's a great way to make money. Yes, it's an absolutely flawless way. Well, I wouldn't say flawless, but it's an absolute definite way to make money in the game if you're out of all options and you just want to make money in a hurry but easter eggs are more something you have to work for you know this is literally you're just flying to a random planet that everyone knows about now flying to a certain planet in a certain galaxy you just sit there and wait for 24 hours but if you look at the new zelda game i mean there's a glitch out there that you know they put there for a reason you know with the cart and all that stuff the flying cart like like there's in mario there's a lot of glitches that are there for a specific reason so i was just seeing if that maybe there was a reason for this glitch on this specific planet that's randomly generated so let me shed some light on this and there's another story with starfield that i've heard a while back as well there, so there's a story of a guy who really heavily, so, I, forgive me, I don't know his name, but there was someone who supported this game so, like, so much and he was so ready to have this game come out and I guess he was diagnosed, unfortunately, with a, a 
a hard case disease. And then I think what, about a month or a couple of weeks before he unfortunately passed away. So the creators took note of this and they put a note or there's a certain satellite that you go to in the game where if you fly there, it's just in the middle of, I wouldn't say it's the middle of nowhere, but it's like you have a great view. And if you travel on it, you're going to see a couple of loot boxes, but then there's a note on the table that says, see you in the stars. And it's by that guy. And it has his name on it. Wow. So forgive me. I don't know his name who was in that note, but it's great to see, you know, that's an Easter egg. Yeah. That's yeah. a way that they recognized a person for one. They recognized someone who was in full support of the game. And they also wanted to pay owed to something in the real world. You know, this is where like, like destiny, you know how they have, they just recently partnered with Epic games a yep. while back. Now you're going to find the battle bus in one of the certain locations. That to okay. me is an Easter egg. That's not a glitch. Like you're, you're not going to just happen to find a battle bus in. in that's Destiny. that's true. But at the same time, with this puddle in that specific generated uh, planet, or I'm yep. guessing that's what it is, planet, it's correct? Planet. So in that specific generated planet, maybe the food was needed because you couldn't find it elsewhere, so you found it in that specific puddle and it maybe it have been an Easter egg for saying, watch out, you're going to need this eventually. I guess so. I could see that. I mean, I'm thinking it's not even that it's found in this puddle because I'm just doing a little research online as well. And it's saying that you're actually going to buy the food somewhere else. And then you're just dropping. So you're just getting the money. Pretty much. You, it's All right. Just there so, so this money is needed to generate because you're not going to get a lot of money for food and all that stuff and all the resources that you need in this planet. So you come here for it. That's that's one of the type of things that I'm getting at is like maybe maybe this part was put in here by the game developers in this specific world for a specific reason. But maybe not at the same time. I could also see it being a glitch where people are just like, hey, free money. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I really think that's what it more is. It's just a way for people to say, oh yeah, here's a way to get free money. This And especially since it's randomly generated. You know, you really don't know what's going to happen in a randomly generated world. For example, Minecraft, you know, Everyone knows Minecraft. Yeah. It's one of the biggest games out there. And the map, you can go on for millions of blocks. And people have found things where it's like two ravines next to each other or two buildings stacked up on top of each other because they shouldn't be. That's what's going to happen in a randomly generated world. So this could be one of those cases where in Starfield at this particular spawn for this planet, this puddle in this area just so happens to be able to give money to these players. Yeah. yeah. But I mean... Let's, you know what? I have a question for you now. Okay. Would you still play this game because of this glitch? Knowing that there's a, gl a glitch that makes this game so much easier. See, I'm not a it? big Starfield person to begin with. So, I mean, even without the glitch, I don't think I would play it a lot. But for me, I do think that this glitch ruins that specific world. So if that specific world is invested into my game time, then yes, I'm not going to play it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to disagree with you there. And the only reason is because yes, it does break the immersion of the game. And yes, this is a way of saying, or not even just saying, but this is a way for players to make their 
experience easier. But the whole point of a video game is you're supposed to take the place of the player, right? Mm -hmm. So there's multiple other ways to do that. You can go to another planet. You can go fight. I've seen a clip where you're fighting binocular aliens, apparently. And yeah, that was my reaction, too. They're literally just aliens that look like binoculars and just run around. But... I mean, you can go do that. You can go be a bounty hunter. You can go create your ships. There's so many other ways to make the immersion still there that I really don't think that the game could be ruined by this one tiny glitch. Even though you're making a ton of money and it makes the game easier, it's money. And essentially, you're not getting materials. You're not getting But you use that money to get materials and to get resources so the game is easier for you to play. To a degree, yes. But there are also some materials that you can't get with just money. So... Like Destiny, you know, you have Glimmer and you have Dust, you have Ascendant Shards, all of those. So you could have 2 billion Glimmer or 2 billion whatever units and you only have like two of the Ascendant Shards and you need 20. So if that, you're still not going to get the materials, but you have yeah, a but, So I mean, uh, I guess it just depends on the game resources and what money gives you in the game to me. Yeah. If money gives you everything that you need to play the game, then I'm going to say no. It's just not going to be fun if I can just, you know, go to a little puddle and get all the money I need to get the resources I need to beat the game. For me, that's just not what I'm in it for for a video game. I'm in it for the competition of me versus me, of how I can make a solution based off of the problems that are given me. And if I'm just given the solution, I'm not going to want to play it. Okay. I can agree with that. See that I can agree with that. That makes sense. So, so we're going to wrap up what broke this time, even though, you know, Starfield just broke this time and we're going to head over right to our next segment. So stay tuned. Welcome back to this week's micro megabytes. And next up, I have a question for you. Okay. Did you know that video games had rules? Well, kinda. So a game called After Us has been doing something that video games have not done at all and is kind of against video games rules. So I'll let you explain more into this. What are we looking at here? Okay. So for those who have been listening, you know about a game called After Us. And this is a game that's based around where you're playing this character known as Gaia. And everywhere you step, you start to create life. Correct. And you start to go around a reality, a broken reality, or a reality after us. Mm -hmm. So this game, which has been out for a long time now, it's been kind of breaking the rules, at least... In the genre specification, you know, it's genre, the single player has been involving a lot of emotion in the character itself. Now, we've seen this with uh, Last of Us. We've seen this with, uh, I can't think of any other games off the top of my head. Maybe Zelda. There you go. That's a perfect example. This game reminds me of a Zelda game. Yep. Um, But also, the other thing that I also wanted to say with After Us is I've been looking into this game ever since it came out. It kind of reminds me of a Disney story kind of thing where it's like going into the afterlife and making life come back up and rise. Yeah. Right? And we're doing that throughout motion and throughout details of what your character can do, which is what I'm getting at by meaning breaking the rules. To a degree. I mean, I can see that. You know... In the storyline of a game, you know, you're going to have a character that, I don't know, falls in love with another character or this character dies in battle or something like that. This is more, it's not really vocal, but it's actually expressing emotion 
in a way that's completely unheard of. Really, you're going through the character, you're going through this storyline, and you're going through as this character trying to restore a broken world without any voice or rarely any. And it's it's honestly just by the look of it, the game is amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. like just by the look of it, you want to play this game, and then you get into the game, and it's like. Oh, this is this is different. this is gonna be good. You know? Like it just change it changes the whole dynamic for how this genre of game should be, in my yeah. opinion. And I I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, for me, I want to see more video games come out like this, and I want to see more of a different aspect than what we've originally been getting with you know the shooter games and the role play games. Yep. Like this brings like a whole new dynamic to gaming. We shall see what happens. I've heard negative and positive reviews, but ever since I've been playing it, I've only had positive reviews on it. Absolutely. And one last note I do want to make is the whole point of you know this character Gaia is they're going through we're trying to restore life, right? They're trying your to, mother nature. Exactly. And you're trying to restore the uh, like the animals' lives and trying to bring them back. So with that, you're going to see like how these animals were in the past and what they used to do. And that's like a way of conveying emotion saying, oh, this is what it looked like. And this is what this looked like. like and there's also actually instinct animals in that game as well. It's not just yep. animals that we see every day right now. So, that's right. I mean, it, it's a great game overall. I say give it a try. And yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah. all I have for it. It's a little quick little taste on a micro megabytes for After Us. So coming up next, we got our very special game of the week. Stay tuned. Hello, hello. There we go. Hello. I'm doing this one. Yeah, no, because I opened it. I open the first one, you open the second one, so. And then I'm explaining. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the third segment of the 10 Podcast, episode two. And we're going to be talking about the game of the week. You know, this has been a long standing one ever since, you know, the first season. And even with 10 Ancient. Ever since 10 Ancient. One we are here ancient. today. We yep. are here today. And I already know, Livezone, you're excited about this <laughs> of one. Of course. So, you know what? What are we talk about today? So, we got Black Ops. So, from what you understand, Black Ops is the best Call of Duty series out there. I know that's a hot take for some people, but it is. We talk about the maps. We talk about you know the game, the game modes that we've played. It, all of it, even the campaign. We had JFK in the campaign. Like it's it's been a great series. And Call of Duty 2024 is looking towards. You heard it, Black Ops. But here's the thing. 2025 is also coming out with another Black Ops. So we're going to get the original Black Ops 5 that we are, you know, supposed to get like the newer version of Black Ops and everything. But then after that, in 2025, we then get the remastered of both Black Ops 1 and Black Ops 2. Can't wait. Everybody, everybody should be hyped about that right yep. now because Call of Duty Black Ops is where, you know, for our age, for example, this is where Call of Duty started for us. We started on Black Ops. This is the nostalgia that we all remember. And this is the generation that it started right here. So I just want to go through. Okay. So in Call of Duty Black Ops 5, we are probably going to get a new version of Nuketown because we always end up getting a new version of Nuketown anyways. Um, but I mean, Let's be honest, you have to. You're going throughout history. Like, 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. But I, I do want to go throughout some maps. So we have here, we have firing range. So basically it's a range where, you know, you go and shoot guns and all that stuff, but you're going basically uh, eight, uh, eight on eight in the firing range. Wow. Yeah. That's going to be cramped. So we have that. We have Summit, which is basically your original snowy base where you're going through, killing people, all of that. We got Vila. Vila is supposed to be kind of like a you know, village in a European city type of vibe. We have, we have a lot of great maps here that are going to be remastered in Call of Duty Black Ops what we can assume will be six. Next up, I know you didn't get to play Black Ops, but from what you know about Black Ops 1 and 2, how are you feeling about this? I'm going to be honest. So a lot of people are going to hate me for this. Let me start here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> My first Call of Duty game was Ghosts. So I have a hard, a completely different basis for a lot of different Call of Duty games. I've played a lot of good ones. I'm going to be honest. I've played Black Ops 1 and 2. <laughs> I've played the original Modern Warfare 2. And I've even played the newest uh, Modern Warfare. I haven't played 2, but I've played Modern Warfare. So I really like those games. And honestly, I've played a lot of the space-based games, Call of Duties too. Yeah. And given that the Black Ops from, you know, 3, 4, they've started getting more futuristic. I'm starting to Unfortunately. like... Oh, you meant say unfortunately. I, I say unfortunately I mean, because I like I like my war games based off of the past. Like boots on the ground. Yeah. See, I like that too. Those I like the realism for that, but it's also nice to have that nice little twist, you know, having fighting literally in space. Like that that is cool. Like you're flying around, jumping around, flying in spacesuits. <laughs> that is so cool to me. I love that. So I really like what Black Ops has done for their series, and I really want to see what they do for Black Ops 5 because we already know that there's already going to be new maps, likely going to be new guns, new abilities, so we are, we have a lot to expect. So are you more excited for Black Ops 5 or Black Ops 6? Because from what it looks like, it looks like Black Ops 5 is going to be the catapult to go back to the Black Ops 6, which is basically going to be the 1 and 2 combined remastered. So uh, how how are you feeling with this? Because I'm telling you right now, I know you're not going to get some of these maps and everything because, you know, you didn't play it as much as, you know, I did as a kid or, you know, our generation has. But this is the best multiplayer setup for a Call of Duty video game that we have ever had. There are about 10, 12 maps deep that are good maps on this game. Not and that's just that's have. just one. That's just Black Ops 1. Then we get into Black Ops 2, and there's about another five or six. So you have 18 maps that are going to be remastered in one game. It's going to get hectic, but it's going to be phenomenal. And let's not mention, not to forget to mention all the maps that they're going to add in later DLCs. Because, you know, all of these Call of Duty games are going to have DLCs. For me, just because I didn't get that Black Ops 1 and 2 experience, I think I'm more excited for 5. Because, okay. because I want to see where they go with it first. And yes, Black Ops 1 and 2 is a very, a very, I, I'd say substantial or very foundation setting game for call of duty i was You're one of the people right. yeah i was <laughs> yeah. one of the people that got to experience it so i want to see where they're going first and then 
from that, I say, okay, let me take it back to the past and let me see where this all came from. All right. Now I'm a multiplayer guy. Uh, that's, that's my mode. That's what I like to play in Call of Duty. I like the hectic. I like the craziness. I like everything that it involves. Now, a lot of people tend to gravitate towards the Call of Duty Black Ops 1 zombies saying that it is the best zombies in Call of Duty history. If they bring something like that back, are you going to be more towards the multiplayer side or the zombie side? I'm going to in say, the in the Black Ops Six, I should say. In Black Ops Six, okay, I would say zombies because okay. I do know when I played Black Ops One and Two, I never played multiplayer, but I played zombies, and that was the most fun I've ever had in the Call of Duty game. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, there <laughs> you go. Multiplayer, it was fun and all, like facing and you're having that competition. But let's be honest, when you're duking it out with zombies, with your best bros, trying to get the pack a punch, trying to get all the uh, all the good weapons, playing as the presidents. Yep. Like, or, like JFK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that, to me, that's one of the best experiences that you can have. And that's something that you can only see as a nostalgia thing. You know, you can only see it in that past. So yeah. the fact that they're bringing that back saying, oh, here's what you, you here's what you remember. You know, here's the experience that started it all and yeah. we're going to bring it to the present. And not even just that, if we get the story of Woods back into Call of Duty, because I know that he's, I know that he's in Warzone, but the story of Woods really, really started in Call of Duty Black Ops 1. So if we get that story back, that is one of the best stories that we have seen in Call of Duty when it comes to realism in the actual war that happened. I'm excited. I'm really excited what they can do with this because for me, what this is saying is we're going to take this, we're going to put a new spin on it, and we're going to give you the same storyline. This is what Call of Duty needed to do. We need more of this. We need more of the groundbreaking, what actually happened in the war, that type of thing. Like That's the stuff that I want to see in Call of Duty, especially for the campaign. And if they do bring this back, and if they do bring the woods back and JFK and all that, expect to see them in something like Warzone 2 as well. Because, you know, if it pops off where, you know, it's the best game that they've had since the Black Ops 1 and all that stuff there's no chance in hell that they're not going to be in the Warzone 2 picture. So for me, I think this is a win-win for Call of Duty. Black Ops has always been, for me at least, I know a lot of people like MW, but for me, Black Ops has always been the go-to for Call of Duty video games. So to hear that they're going to bring back not just one, but also bring back two in the same game is a phenomenal case for me. Yep. And I know you say you don't like that futuristic aspect, of, like at all. So it's not. It's not that I don't like it at all. It's just that I rather, I rather have something like the Black Ops One and Black Ops Two that we right. had because that was more more realistic in a war setting. Like you're not gonna be in space during a war, at least not right now. Um, so for me, like right right now, what they're doing with the Black Ops One and Black Ops Two thing is basically you're gonna get the perfect Call of Duty game. So let me ask you this then. Everyone knows that Call of Duty has their real, realistic share of games, but so does Battlefield. Okay. If Battlefield were to come out with a game similar to that, so like Bad Company, Battlefield Bad Company, that was one of the best okay. Battlefield games out there. Okay. You got Battlefield 3. Yep. And Bad Company was 10 times better, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, also another thing, I hated Hardline. <laughs> Hardline, not for me. But... If Battlefield had a more realistic style game than Call of Duty, and would you still would you go to Battlefield versus Call of Duty? 
Like, let's just say. So I don't know. Let me say this. So Call of Duty was with the nostalgia, right? Everyone has nostalgia with Call of Duty or mostly with Call okay. of Duty. Battlefield has been known to have more of a realistic feel. You know, you have bullet drop, you have all of that. But I've been nostalgic with both. That's what I'm saying. That's that's just me. What would what game would I gravitate more? I would gravitate towards the Call of Duty more, especially with Black Ops One. If you know me, and if you've listened to One O Ancient and One O Pass or whatever we're calling it now, um, you know that Black Ops One is on the same height for me as Knockout City. So, for that being said, I mean, adding this into a game would have remastered in today's gaming. It's a no-brainer for me that I'm going to love this game. So then, would I say, let me ask this. Battlefield Bad Company remastered or Black, Black Ops, Ops, Ops? Black Ops 1? Black Ops 1. Off the bat? Off the bat. All right. Off the bat. Like, 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 like I said, if it's on the same level as Knockout City for me. Like okay. that's like if you watch 1-0 Ancient, go to Spotify and listen to it. You know how high I am on Knockout City and how great of a game that was that was also based off of a past game in PlayStation 2 days, that's the type of thing that I'm getting at. That's the type of thing that I'm seeing. Like I, I, Even the past game that Knockout City was based off of, I still like that game, but Knockout City was the game because it was a remastered version. Black Ops 1 was a great game, but now they're remastering Black Ops 1 and Black Ops 2 and giving it to us in one game. It's going to be the game for okay. Call of Duty. Yeah. You know what? I'm interested to see where this goes with Call of Duty because the only thing is I'm very on the fence about it because a lot of remastered, I wouldn't say a lot, I understand. but some remastered games, you know, they don't turn out as good as they were before. Yep. You know, you have increased graphics, you know, you have better gameplay. It's so much smoother to play. Yep. But sometimes that's what ruins it. You know, you used to have those moments where it's like, oh yeah, you got the crappy graphics and then you have like, but the, what if there was hidden messages that they didn't give us, but even so like, that they're still, putting in there now. And then we go back in time, and then after that, we have to figure out what happened between those hidden messages. But even so, I'm just saying, like, the nostalgic feel from the games in the past, it's hard sometimes, not in all cases, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to get the same feel from the newer games, if the, even if they bring everything back. and even Now if they I understand that. Like I, the I, other messages. I, I get that because of what we had with GTA back when they brought back San Andreas and all that remastered, it wasn't really a good game. But Call of Duty has done a lot right since Black Ops 1. I don't see them messing this up. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what they do. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up this segment. Thank you for tuning in. And now we're going to catch up. Speaking of the past, we're actually going to take it back to the past in our next segment. So let's go. Tuned. Check, check, check. Welcome back to another 108-Bit Endeavors segment. Welcome, welcome, welcome. There we are. So we got the past rolling in, nostalgia, nostalgia at its finest. We have a very specific game. But before I hand it off to you, next step to reveal the game, I just want to know, have you subscribed yet? Because we've been putting out this content for you, and we've been working our butts off and making sure that the content is great for what you are getting just subscribe, hit that like button. We've been putting in some serious work to make serious Consumption work. Network 
bigger than a podcasting network. So come on, you at yeah. least got to join yeah. us on the And team. not even just that, we are the best podcasting company that you have not heard of yet. Yep. So stay tuned for that. Let's get back to what we were going at though. Next yep. up, what do we got for this 8-bit endeavors? We got Space Invaders. Yes, DX. sir. And this is not just any Space Invaders. You know, everyone knows what the original Space Invaders of was. Of course. And this is the ahead of its time Space Invaders. This is the one that started bringing in the amazing soundtracks. This one started bringing in that pixelated peril style of gaming. This, you could even go and actually play inside of an arcade game. Or actually, like arcade. This is insane. Uh, yeah, like an arcade style system. So, the reason why we picked this game for the 8 bit endeavors is this is one of the games that set the foundation, at least my hot take, is it set the foundation for a lot of the space games out there. You know, you've got Galaga, you've got. I don't know, Zenvos, there's another one. This is one of those games that started changing it because now you're in a game that's going from 8-bit to actual 3D. Okay. That's the difference. You're okay. Not, when are you going to see a game in that all time? Right, all right. It's completely changing it. So right. Let's not get ahead of yeah. ourselves, Look, though. Because, I'm already excited. Listen, right? <laughs> we, we, still, we still got the Mario games and the Zelda games that came before this did. I do agree with you that it, for space games, yes, but for games in general, I think that the Zelda and the Mario came afterwards and then Space Invaders were like, oh, well, we should do this now. I do think that this game is great. This game is definitely... Definitely one of the most phenomenal games out there. But do I like this better than the 8 bit Endeavors one, uh, the 8 bit ones, I should say? Uh, I don't know. See, I don't know. If you put it in that kind of light, it really depends on what game you're comparing it to. If you're putting this game against Galaga, Galaga wins every time. Oh, 110. I, I don't care. 110. Gal Galaga wins every time. Does not <laughs> one, if you listen to 10 Ancient, you would know that me and Next Step agree on this. Galaga is probably the, the best 8-bit Endeavor game other than what I think is Donkey Kong. But even then, Galaga is Galaga. Galaga is just, that's what it is. But for me, I think this Space Invaders DX is the next step above this, no pun intended. But <laughs> the reason why I like this game is because it had a nice little twist on, you know, you're not going to have the traditional boss that's flying across the screen. You're going to have something that's literally shifting. You're going to have bosses that self-heal. You're going to have bosses that literally smash down onto Yeah, it Earth. was a part two. Like, it was a part two to what we saw in Space Invaders, the original part game. Part two, but emphasized. Yeah, like, yeah. This game, this was just one thing that, and I really have a lot of nostalgia with this game because I played, or sentimental value with this game because I, my shout out grandpa, you know this game. I, uh, we played this game all the time after I would get home from school and we'd just grind this out. And I, you know, it's just so much fun. It's one of those games that just does not lose replay value. You know, you have a yeah. lot of arcade games that they're fun to play and you start getting that high score and they still have the replay value. Yep. But after a while, they start to get old, you know? This is one of those games, even though it gets easy, even though it's easier the more you grow up, it's, it's, Fun. Like, yeah, you just, it I mean, doesn't lose yeah. replay value. listen, it's not Galaga for me, and it's not the original Space Invaders for me, but do I put this in a high standard? Of course I do. When it comes to 90s games, I put this right next to the best of them. This is a great game overall. I think it 
brings a new dynamic, especially with the you know soundtrack that it has. I think that it brings something that's you know not near its time yet. And I think that you know with that being said, it just shows how we progressed in video games throughout you know the seventies, going to the nineties, going to the twenty tens, going to where we're at now. Yeah. So because of this, this is one of those games that I do put in high standards for the nineties time, but. Do I think that there's better games out there? Yeah, I think there are. I to a degree, I can I can agree with that. Yeah, there's some games that I would rate higher than Space Invaders DX, but it's not. Yeah, put that DX like, ne- next to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, I'm just just because of that, I'm gonna say Space Invaders. <laughs> but even so, like just because it's one of like from the Space Invaders line, there are still some games that could compare better to the. To this game, yeah, I can't name it off the top of my head, other than Galaga, because you know Galaga's better. But well, even like the No Man's Skies and all that. I mean, you can like well, you not know, even with then, the ships and like, everything like that. I mean, uh, even Destiny. You could you could say that Destiny learned a little bit from Space yeah. Invaders because honestly, it did. It's just that Destiny is a more more out there version of yeah. Space Invaders. It's like you're actually in the ship and like actually controlling the ship and everything like that where uh, same same thing with No Man's Sky when in Space Invaders you're kind of you're not seeing you don't see it. You're not seeing it. You're you're just doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's basically the first version of the Destinies and the No Man's Skies. I think I was going to take it back keep it going further because or not further, but keep it in the past because yeah. it still keeps the same controls. You know, left, right, and shoot. It's yeah. the same controls. You have three buttons that you or three controls that you have to go for, and that's what the whole Space Invaders line for. If you compare it to games like Destiny Two, uh, Starfield, No Man's Sky, you have all of those games. Those are super complex compared to this game. So yeah, well, it definitely learned from it. Yeah, but I still think that shifting from a two D screen to a three D with all of this immersion that changes everything because let's even talk about that how these games have started to shift from just being a flat screen you know we can even look at donkey kong how these games just started being flat just going like up and down up and down to be in 3d exactly now you have donkey kong it's actually moving even though it's rough (laughs) yeah and trust me you running (laughs) (laughs) you definitely running if you see a moving donkey no run mario (laughs) (laughs) run jump man run (laughs) even so i really i really think i this game is rated very highly. For me, I put it next to Galaga. I wouldn't say next to Galaga, but just below. Ooh. Just below Galaga. That's where I put this. Ooh, you got you got a low standard for Galaga, my friend. No, no, you no. Yeah, low standard. Galaga for is up there. Listen, Galaga is up there. The only games that are near Galaga for me are one, Knockout City, mm. two, Call of Duty Black Ops One, and three, Donkey Kong. Those are the three games that I put next to Galaga. So if anything, I would only consider Donkey Kong because it's in the past. If we're talking about present games, All right, if sure. we're talking about, I'm just saying if we're talking about video games in general, if we're talking about past video games, the only one that I really put it against is Donkey Kong because it gives you a different dynamic on just a regular space game. I mean, because back then you had a lot of space games. You had Space Invaders, you had, you know, Galaga, you had, uh, you had a few like more. Yeah, yeah, you had a few more out there that are not as big names. But that was a big thing back then. Now, 
I mean, you have your destinies, you have your no man's skies, but they're not on the levels of say like a call of duty or stuff like that. As much as they're a great game, it's just that space games became an afterthought after a while. And I feel like that's because of how popular it was in the seventies, eighties and nineties. Yep. And even so, you know, we've talked about Galaga so many times in this segment alone and Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So many games have learned from that game because look, Galaga came out, right? Now you have so many knockoff versions of Galaga coming out. Now you have one where it's like the aliens are more high def, but it's in the same style. Now you have Space Invaders, even though that was, well, no, Space Invaders was a little older. But even so, you have the variants of Space Invaders that were basing off of Galaga to try and give it that new flair twist. And this is I think this is one of those games that learned from Galaga, which is why I'm rating it so highly against Galaga. So you think so? So you think this learned more based off of Galaga instead of the original Space Invaders? I would say so. Ooh, I don't now. No, now hear me out on this because that's rough. The original Space Invaders, right? We're talking about the very first one. You're moving left to right. You have barriers, and you have the occasional UFO ship that would come by. And the more aliens that you shoot, the faster that it gets. Mm They kept with that trend. They got rid of the barriers, but they kept with that trend. Where do the power-ups come in? This game has power-ups where aliens start moving in different directions. Now you okay. have power-ups that have like boomerangs. Where did they learn that from? Galaga. Galaga kind of has those powers where you start, you, you, know, you get your ship captured, and then you have to shoot it down while it's coming back. Now you have two yeah. blasters, something like that. And then you have the Galaga knockoffs where you shoot a certain alien, you get a power-up, now you have missiles. Like something like that. So I think... That, yes, it's a Space Invaders game. Yes, it kept the original but trend. But they learned from their competitor. But they learned from their competitor. Exactly. Gotcha. So with that, we're going to wrap up with some pretty hot takes on Galaga versus uh, Space Invaders. Galaga wins every time. Galaga wins every time. We agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> so shifting from the past to the future, we're going to head right over to our fifth and final segment. So stay tuned. Yes, sir. Check, check. There we go. No. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the fifth and final segment of today's episode. I'm next step, the next step above the rest, and I'm here with the one, the only, the legendary live zone. Yes, sir. And you know, today we're talking about one of my favorite topics for this futurescape, we're talking about Forza Motorsport. And while I'm not really for the Forza team, I'm more of a GT7, Gran Turismo 7 person, I gotta say, I'm excited for this game. And imagine you're focusing on actually racing on the track, right? You know, everyone knows how, everyone knows how focused Forza is on their style and how they're focused they are on the feels of the car. But what about, you know, the realism compared to GT7? So my question I want to propose is, how does Forza Motorsport compare to Forza Horizon and Gran Turismo? But you're forgetting a game. Which one am I forgetting? You're you're forgetting Need for Speed. Yeah, because at least Forza, Forza and GT are focused on some aspect of realism. Oh, okay, all right. That's perfectly fine. But when it comes to a racing game, why are we not putting the most like known street racing game out there on this platform? Because we're talking about 
track racing. Yeah, but we're, but speed race. Uh, but all right, so track racing compared to street racing, I get it. But at the same time, street racing has always been a better race. Eh, I don't know about that. I mean, let's talk about it then. All right. So let's talk about it. Let me just talk about this then. All right. So with Forza Motorsport, we yep. already know there's a lot of things coming out with this game. You have the in the trailer, they just released the Corvette E, the Stingray. Mm-hmm. That one, it looks sick. You can put new kits on it. Now you're facing it. What is it? A ZR1. You've got the 24-hour Le Mans cars coming back. Or okay. not even coming back, but they're there. And believe me, those things are fast. And you can imagine customizing okay. one of those things All right. All that right. already have 800 horsepower. That's so great. Those things are coming back in this game. And for a Forza game, you know, you already have Motorsport. So mm-hmm. with a newer version of Motorsport, I think that this is going to be a great game. Won't be better than GT7, but I think it's going to be a great game. All right. We'll get into that in a second. But <laughs> what I'm going to say is Mr. JDM. Yep. Do they have a Skyline in there? Probably. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Do they have an NSX in there? Probably. I Do wouldn't they doubt have it. a Supra in there? I wouldn't doubt it. You can still take those cars. I don't know. That's the thing. It's not all focused on track. Okay, but we're talking about realism. You're not going to see that on a track. Who says you won't? Come on. People take... That's a typical street racing... No, 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 no. People literally take these street cars. JDM cars are a typical street racing car. It is not for the track. Hear me out on this. People take... There's videos of people taking BMW M3s. People taking... What Supras? People taking Mark IV Supras, Mark III Supras, and the they shouldn't old school be there. And they're taking it on the Nurburgring, one of the hardest tracks in the world. But they shouldn't be there. Who says they shouldn't? They That's shouldn't be. They're the a places? street racing car. Who says they're a street racing car? JDM cars? is street racing cars. <laughs> Bro, just because JDM does not mean that it's specific for the street. Come on. Come on. It's prevalent Come on. there, but Come that on. does not mean it's that It's prevalent. It's yeah. a street racing car. It is prevalent on the street <laughs> race scene, but that does not mean that it's specifically a street racing car. If you have an NSX, if you have a Skyline R34, just like Paul Walker's, who says you can't take that to the track? It's not for that. It's not for that. It, it's a street racing car. But that's the, it's a street racing car, but you can still put it on the track. You're still putting it on A Street, the track street. <laughs> so if, if, if you say so, I'll let, I'll let you take it. But, that's all I, I'm but I'm just saying, when it comes to JDM cars, where are you most likely going to see them? As I said, it's just, just answer the question. As Answer said, the question. Prevalent in the street races. Okay. All right. So we talk about realism. That's not really realism, if you ask me. See what? Seeing it on the track or yeah. seeing it on the seeing street? it on the track. That's still realistic. Let me. All right. If you're gonna have this hundred thousand dollar car, fifty thousand dollar car, whatever, that's shipped uh-huh. straight from Japan, right hand drive, whatever, you can still take that to push it against its like push it to the hardest test. And where else are you going to do that? That's not on a street. You can't, obviously you can't do that in real life without the risk. So where do you want to push it at 200 miles an hour without, like without any risk? Oh, you can do that anyway. <laughs> you can do that anyway. Good, good luck, but you can do it anyway. <laughs> that's my whole point. But that's what makes street racing better is you can't do that type of stuff. You have to, it's more about knowledge and drifting and turning. That's why street racing is such a big thing. Have you ever heard of the Drift King? Yes. All right. Where did he start? Track. No. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. The real Drift King actually started on the track. He pushed it on the street. 
That is true. He did actually push it out on the street, mm-hmm. which is why it's prevalent on the street. But where did it start? It started on the track. He pushed his car drifting around corners to get around other racers. That is where it started. It was absolutely prevalent because if people have seen Initial okay. D, the anime, where the AE86 Toyota Trueno, that is prime where- Prime Drift King, though, is in the street. No. Correct. No. <laughs> no. No. You can't tell me no on that. I'm literally telling you the actual drift king. He t- He literally. Okay, took- that's fine. No, but no, no, no. prime drift king was on street racing. <laughs> he took- no, I'm talking about the real DK. He took the exact same car from that anime, took it right to the track, and what did he do? He drifted around the track. You said DK. I'm gonna make a Fast and Furious, you know, little the part here. Yeah, a little <laughs> reference. You mean Donkey Kong? <laughs> <laughs> if you but, don't understand what that is, come on. Go watch. <laughs> That's something we can agree on, all right? If you can't, if you don't know what DK means, come on. <laughs> but no, what I'm saying is you you know Drift King because of what he did in the street more than you know what he did on the track. As I said, it is more prevalent on the street. Okay, so you're telling me that it's more prevalent. So his prime time was on the street. More than it's the track. prime time. So you're talking about where he's known the most. Yeah. Okay. Then I can agree with All you. All right. There. That's known. what I'm trying to say. Street racing cars are supposed to be meant for the street. I I do okay. believe. I don't know about. I do believe meant that. for the street. That's where we disagree. I can absolutely agree and say that yes, it is more popular on the street. That is where there people must know be it a most. reason why he pushed it on the street and not the track, though. There because. must be a reason for that, and what that's telling me is that those cars are more no more better, say, for the street racing. I will say this: there are some conditions playing the devil's advocate. There are some conditions. Where the street, if you just close off a whole section, there's, what is it? The Dragon's Tail. Everyone knows that track. It's a real street where it's just a Dragon's Tail and it's so many curves and everything. People just send it down that mm-hmm. course. That's a street. So people will race down that. I can see that. But there's still places where that's roaming with civilians. That's still roaming with cops. So you have to be careful with that. On the track, you can still have a curved race and you can just send it at 200 miles an hour. Come on now. You're telling me that I have a place. There's no cops, right? There's no other. Where was racers. it pushed? Next step. What? Where was it pushed? Where was Drift King pushed? Where was he pushed? I don't know the name of the track, but it was pushed on track. It was some uh, what Fiji Speedway? I think that was the name of it. You're contradicting yourself. <laughs> you said that he's most known for street racing, so therefore yes. he pushed it more on street racing than he did on track because it's more popular. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that being said, with that being said, I'm uh, going to close it out right I'm here. Like, you know what? Let's just tie it all back then. So we already had our heated debate on talking about street versus track. So let's take it with Forza Motorsport. All right. Okay. We're going to take Forza Motorsport and GT7 versus Need for Speed. So these two okay. games, I already think that GT7 is better than Forza. But I still I think, disagree with you. I still think that both of those games are better than Need for Speed. I disagree with you again. <laughs> Come on now. Both of okay. All while right, I so think, for me, for while me, I think, let me just get into this. While I think that GT7 is a little more realistic than Forza in some aspects, both of them still focus on the actual realism. But of you the have car. a game, you have a game specified for a certain type of racing in the same company. So you have Forza Horizon and you have Forza Motorsport. Yep. And then you have GT7, right? So you have you have both types of racing for Forza. So that's why I'm saying that I put Forza over GT7. Now when it comes to Need for Speed, Need for Speed has brought a new light to racing games. 
which it might not be realistic enough for people, but it still brings a new dynamic over to it. So that's why I'm putting uh, Need for Speed over both of them for my for my like in video games. For that, I can agree because we can even look at Unbound. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Obviously, that's not a realistic aspect yeah. where you have graffiti coming out of the car. But it's a different. Take. But when you're racing, what's the number two thing that's right next to it? It's graffiti. So there you go. That is a different take. I can agree with you there. But it's still, for me, it's not that immersion aspect. You know, you're, you feel like you're going to be a racer, sure. Yep. But you're not, it doesn't feel like you're a driver. Being a racer and a driver are just, just two different things. So that's why I just think that GT7, focus on realism, is different from Need for Speed, which is focused more on the experience. All right. Well, with that being said, I want to know from you, what game are you picking? Are you picking GT7 or are you picking Forza? And not even just that, what about Need for Speed as well? Which game are you taking? Let us know. Are you focusing more on realism or are you focusing more on the experience? So with that, we're going to close out this Futurescape segment. we got a lot to look forward to in games. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media. Check us out on YouTube where this is the video is going to be posted. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts where the audio is posted. And make sure to keep up with us on all of our social media, you know, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Hey, visit X. Us. And? It's X. And, oh, yeah. Sorry. It's X. Sorry. <laughs> it's X, not Twitter. But make sure to keep up with us on consumption.live. Make sure you leave yep. your comments. And we'll be seeing you in the next episode. Interact with us. We'll interact back. Stay tuned. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the fifth and final segment of today's episode. I'm Next Step, the next step above the rest. And I'm here with the one, the only, the legendary Live Zone. Yes, sir. And you know, today we're talking about one of my favorite topics for this Futurescape. We're talking about Forza Motorsport. And while I'm not really for the Forza team, I'm more of a GT7, Gran Turismo 7 person, I gotta say, I'm excited for this game. And imagine you're focusing on actually racing on the track, right? You know, everyone knows how, everyone knows how focused Forza is on their style and how they're focused they are on the feels of the car. But what about, you know, the realism compared to GT7? So my question I want to propose is, how does Forza Motorsport compare to Forza Horizon and Gran Turismo. But you're forgetting a game. Which one am I forgetting? You're, you're forgetting Need for Speed. Yeah, because at least Forza, Forza and GT are focused on some aspect of realism. Oh, okay, all right. That's perfectly fine. But when it comes to a racing game, why are we not putting the most like known street racing game out there on this platform? Because we're talking about track racing. We're yeah, but we're, racing. but speed rate. Uh, but all right, so track racing compared to street racing, I get it. But at the same time, street racing has always been a better race. Eh, I don't know about that. I mean, let's talk about it then. All right. So let's talk about it. Let me just talk about this then. All right. So with Forza Motorsport, we yep. already know there's a lot of things coming out with this game. You have... The, in the trailer, they just released the Corvette E, the Stingray. Mm-hmm. That one, it looks sick. You can put new kits on it. Now you're facing, what is it, a ZR1. You've got the 24-hour Le Mans cars coming back. Or okay. not even coming back, but they're there. And believe me, those things are fast. And you can imagine customizing okay. one of those things All right. All that right. already have 800 horsepower. That's so great. Those things are coming back in this game. And for a Forza game, you know, you already have motorsport. So... Mm-hmm. 
with a newer version of Motorsport, I think that this is going to be a great game. Won't be better than GT7, but I think it's going to be a great game. All right, we'll get into that in a second. But <laughs> what I'm going to say is Mr. JDM. Yep. Do they have a Skyline in there? Probably. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Do they have an NSX in there? Probably. I Do wouldn't they doubt have it. a Supra in there? I wouldn't doubt it. You can still take those cars. I don't know. That's the thing. It's not all focused on track. Okay, but we're talking about realism. You're not going to see that on a track. Who says you won't? Come on. People take. That's a typical street racing. No, 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 no. That's a people literally take these street JDM cars are a typical street racing car. It is not for the track. Hear me out on this. People take. There's videos of people taking BMW M3s. People taking. What Supras? People taking Mark IV Supras, Mark III Supras, and the they shouldn't old school be skylines, there. And they're taking it on the Nurburgring, one of the hardest tracks in the world. But they shouldn't be there. Who says they shouldn't? They That's, shouldn't be. They're the a places? street racing car. Who says they're a street racing car? JDM cars? is street racing cars. <laughs> Bro, just because JDM does not mean that it's specific for the street. Come on. Come on. It's prevalent come on, there, but come that on. does not mean it's that It's prevalent. It's yeah. a street racing car. It is prevalent on the street <laughs> race scene, but that does not mean that it is specifically a street racing car. If you have an NSX, if you have a Skyline R34, just like Paul Walker's, who says you can't take that to the track? It's not for that. It's not for that. It's though. a street racing car. But that's the, it's a street racing car, but you can still put it on the track. You're still putting it on A Street, the track street. <laughs> so if, if, if you say so, I'll let, I'll let you take it. But, that's all I, I, but I'm just saying when it comes to JDM cars, where are you most likely going to see them? As I said, it's just, prevalent. Just answer the question. As Answer said, the question. Prevalent in the street racing. Okay. Scene. All right. So we talk about realism. That's not really realism, if you ask me. See what? Seeing it on the track or yeah. seeing it on the seeing street? Seeing it on the track. That's still realistic. Let me. All right. If you're going to have this $100,000 car, $50,000 car, whatever, that's shipped uh-huh. straight from Japan, right hand drive, whatever, you can still take that to push it against its, like, push it to the hardest test. And where else are you going to do that that's not on a street? You can't, obviously you can't do that in real life without the risk. So where do you want to push it at 200 miles an hour without, like without any risk? Oh, you can do that anyway. <laughs> you can do that anyway. Good, good luck, but you can do it anyway. <laughs> that's my whole point. But that's what makes street racing better is you can't do that type of stuff. You have to, it's more about knowledge and drifting and turning. That's why street racing is such a big thing. Have you ever heard of the Drift King? Yes. All right. Where did he start? Track. N- no. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. The real Drift King actually started on the track. He pushed it on the street. That is true. He did actually push it out on the street, mm-hmm. which is why it's prevalent on the street. But where did it start? It started on the track. He pushed his car drifting around corners to get around other racers. That is where it started. It was absolutely prevalent because if people have seen Initial okay. D, the anime, where the AE86 Toyota Trueno, that is prime where- Prime Drift King though is in the street. No. Correct. No. 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 You can't tell me no on that. I'm literally telling you the actual Drift King. He t- He literally. Okay, took- that's fine. No, but no, no, no. Prime Drift took- King was on street racing. <laughs> he took- no, I'm talking about the real DK. He took the exact same car from that anime, took it right to the track, and what did he do? He drifted around the track. You said DK. I'm gonna make a Fast and Furious, you know, little part here. Yeah, a little <laughs> reference. You mean Donkey Kong? 
<laughs> if you but, don't understand what that is, come on. Go watch it. <laughs> That's something we can agree on, all right? If you can't, if you don't know what DK means, come on. <laughs> but no, what I'm saying is you you know Drift King because of what he did in the street more than you know what he did on the track. As I said, it is more prevalent on the street. Okay, so you're telling me that it's more prevalent. So his prime time was on the street more than the track. prime time. So you're talking about where he's known the most. Yeah. Okay. Then I can agree with All you. Right. There. That's what I'm trying to say. Street racing cars are supposed to be meant for the street. I, I do okay. believe that. I don't know about I do believe meant that. for the street. That's where we disagree. I can absolutely agree and say that, yes, it is more popular on the street. That is where there people must know be it a most. reason why he pushed it on the street and not the track, though. There because. must be a reason for that. And what that's telling me is that those cars are more no, more better, say, for the street racing. I will say this. There are some conditions, playing the devil's advocate, there are some conditions where the street, if you just close off a whole section, there's, what is it? The Dragon's Tail. Everyone knows that track. It's a real street where it's just a Dragon's Tail and it's so many curves and everything. People just send it down that mm-hmm. course. That's a street. So people will race down that. I can see that. But there's still places where that's roaming with civilians. That's still roaming with cops. So you have to be careful with that. On the track, you can still have a curved race and you can just send it at 200 miles an hour. Come on now. You're telling me that I have a place. There's no cops, right? There's no other Where was racers. it pushed? Next step. What? Where was it pushed? Where was Drift King pushed? Where was he pushed? I don't know the name of the track, but it was pushed on track. It was some, uh, what, Fiji Speedway? I think that was the name of it. You're contradicting yourself. <laughs> you said that he's most known for street racing. So therefore, yes. he pushed it more on street racing than he did on track. Because it's more popular. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that being said, with that being said, I'm uh, going to close it out right here. You know what? Let's just tie it all back then. So we already had our heated debate on talking about street versus track. So let's take it with Forza Motorsport. All right. Okay. We're going to take Forza Motorsport and GT7 versus Need for Speed. So these two okay. games, I already think that GT7 is better than Forza. But I still I think, disagree with you. I still think that both of those games are better than Need for Speed. I disagree with you again. <laughs> Come on now. Both of okay. All right, so think, for me, for while me, I think, let me just get into this. While I think that GT7 is a little more realistic than Forza in some aspects, both of them still focus on the actual realism. But of you the have car. a game. You have a game specified for a certain type of racing in the same company. So you have. Forza Horizon and you have Forza Motorsport yep. and then you have GT7 right so you have you have both types of racing for Forza so that's why I'm saying that I put Forza over GT7 now when it comes to Need for Speed Need for Speed has brought a new light to racing games which it might not be realistic enough for people but it still brings a new dynamic over to it so that's why I'm putting uh, Need for Speed over both of them for my for my like in video games. For that, I can agree because we can even look at Unbound. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Obviously, that's not a realistic aspect yeah. where you have graffiti coming out of the car. But, it's a different thing. But when you're racing, what's the number two thing that's right next to it? It's graffiti. So there you go. That is a different take. I can agree with you there. But it's still for me. It's not that immersion aspect. You know, you're you feel like you're going to be a racer, sure. Yep. But you're not. It doesn't feel like you're a driver. Being a racer and a driver are just two different things. So that's why I just think that GT7, focus on realism, is different from 
Need for Speed, which is focused more on the experience. All right. Well, with that being said, I want to know from you, what game are you picking? Are you picking GT7 or are you picking Forza? And not even just that, what about Need for Speed as well? Which game are you taking? Let us know. Are you focusing more on realism or are you focusing more on the experience? So with that, we're going to close out this Futurescape segment. we got a lot to look forward to in games. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media. Check us out on YouTube where this is the video is going to be posted. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts where the audio is posted. And make sure to keep up with us on all of our social media, you know, Twitter, right. TikTok, Instagram. Hey, and visit X. Us. And? It's X. And, oh, yeah. Sorry. It's X. Sorry. <laughs> it's X, not Twitter. But make sure to keep up with us on consumption.live. Make sure you leave yep. a comment. And we'll be seeing you in the next episode. Interact with us. We'll interact back. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in to 1-0 Podcast. This concludes today's episode. Be sure to follow the Consumption Network on social medias and stay updated with the latest content drops. Up next up, I'm LiveZone, and we'll we'll see see you on the next level. level.